fact, you went around, you made a risk. First of all, you had to convince them, and then you then you went and and what convinced Phil Knight that said, "Let's go all in." Like, what were you able to do to that, get? That was the last. That was the last thing. I I was persistent. They had no. Where were they going? By by the time that Michael told me that he was going to go with Adidas, okay, regardless, okay. I mean, he called it Nikki. Didn't even say Nike. He said Nikki. <laughs> okay, he wasn't going to go. You know, Elijah won. You know, I mean, he was going to you know Houston or something. He was a big guy, but but that time there was a great affinity for big people. You know, to wear the shoe. You know, and Moses got that contract. And I'm not saying that they weren't good. You know, and Sam was going to be the first pick in Porg and Sam Bowie, who was a you know great player at Kentucky, and he probably would have been very very good. And he got hurt, but he wasn't going to be Michael. Well, there's nobody, and you could not have flown. Everyone's saying, well, you could have Howard Barkley. Well, they called him the round mound of rebound for a big reason. You know, at Auburn, he wasn't like turning the page to you. He was like, oh, and he's great. He's one of the greatest players. And I'm not saying he wasn't, but you know what? He still wore Nikes and, it, you know, he sold whatever, whatever, you know, the whatever shoes. But there was no one Stockton, great player. They're all great players. And Charles would have been the for closest to a personality, obviously, because he evolved that way. But the question is, would he evolve that way in 84 and 85 and did what Michael Jordan did? And then Spike Lee. Do you really think that would have happened? That's what Tony Vicar is trying to say now. You could have said somebody could have been. I doubt it. And then you, the, the, mo- the movie goes into showing the trips to Adidas, a trip to Converse, where like we have Julius Irving and we have Larry Bird and we have Magic Johnson and those things. But when, when you put together that presentation and when he came to Nike uh, with the shoe, with that was was more red, you know, did they get, say if there were fines? <laughs> yeah, and, and the entire, the, the presentation was so tremendous. And you said, you know, you are going to be our signature athlete. Your the shoe is going to be the Air Jordan. It's and and you put the one shoe in the room and all those things about it. that must have been. I mean, what an iconic moment that you were there and making that pitch. It must just tremendous. I get chills just talking about it. Well, those those words were said. We knew Robin Peter thought of you know the well Peter thought of Air Jordan. Him and him and David Falk split the thing, and you saw the big argument. Yes, <laughs> Peter more credit. And if you remember first. We showed the air, the airplane wings, right? The, the captain. We couldn't use that. That was the first insignia. Then Peter changed the whole world when he had the jump man. You know, his his poster of jump man. That's what changed the world. That's when Peter. We couldn't do the airline thing. We don't know if that would have been changed. It could have been obviously because the airman is, you know, the jump man is, you know, synonymous with history now. But everything fell into love. But it was Peter Moore. It was his his design. Of the jump man, it was Spike Lee. I don't know if Spike Lee connects with anybody, even though he does commercials with Charles today. That was a hundred years ago. Again, they're both of their lives were different a hundred years ago. Charles and Spike. That was the first major thing Spike did, other than the girls got to have it and you know do the right thing and all that sort of stuff. World Michael changed the world because not even the greatest player in the world, whoever you want, not even LeBron in his first year. Nobody in their first year ever did, after a 50-some game injury, what Jordan was able to do. And he comes back and he gets 52, I think, against the Celtics, and the rest is history. So what played into it was Jordan changed the world in marketing. Jordan changed the world in getting great contracts. But Jordan changed the world, as Mrs. Jordan made sure it happened, to be a part of the company 
going in. Even today, when your audience is listening, yeah, LeBron's going to have a share. Yeah, they'll give him a percentage next year or something like that. Yeah, Seth just got a piece of Under Armour after 10 years wearing the damn shoe. Yeah, this guy gets a piece. But nobody had a piece from the beginning. That's what changed the world. Jordan changed the world in marketing. Everyone can argue the, the, the best, the GOAT. I, I believe, being in basketball my life, but you can only go to go by the decades. Like, you know, who's going to be better in Chamberlain, Kareem, you know, whoever, Magic. Every, there's a goat every year. LeBron's the new goat, right? But you, you can't major guys that played in the 60s and 50s and 60s and 80s. They're all brilliant, but the game has changed. This whole game you're watching on the NBA is not the game that they played in 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. That's why Michael, Michael did everything. Michael made it exciting to drive to the rim and kick it out and make an assist. Oh, what happens if they don't drive? He dunks the ball in the rear end. They didn't do that in 1984. Jordan made a champion out of chicken out of chicken soup. Or what the hell is that? Thing? <laughs> you know, that's what he did. But they, but you talk about that in terms of with in the movie just presented greatly, where that Adidas matched the two hundred fifty thousand dollars that Nike was going to offer, and then David Falk comes back to you and said, "Oh, David Falk, but the the mother, Jordan's mother, says we want a percent, we want a percent of the company," and you're like, "That's not how it's done. That's not how it works." And and you ended up, and then Phil Knight again, you know, went for his run and decided to do it. In the Showtime movie, we had Jeff Perlman on. I had Paul Westhead on talking about the Showtime, the the HBO special, uh, or it's called Winning Time, whatever, in terms of that movie. Supposedly, Phil Knight offered that deal to Magic Johnson, and he turned it down because they were offering 100000 Magic says, no, 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 just I don't care about the shoes. Just give me the 100000 I don't know if that's true or not, but that was one. You know, So Michael Jordan was the first one to take advantage of the fact of, yes, I can own my own shoe. Wrong, wrong story. Magic got carried away. <laughs> okay. okay. And I love magic. He didn't lie. I just think he imagined something like that. And somebody could have said something. There's only one fallacy here. Just be, and Ira, I'm surprised you're being a basketball historian and audience listener with Sonny Fakara saying, when did magic play bird in the great game that changed college basketball and pro basketball? 79. 79, right? Yes. Nike didn't have stock in 79, first of all. In 79, they had the Moses and those guys signing her $1 contract. Guys were leaving. What were we going to do? We were going to give them stock, but there was no stock to be had. You know, second of all, there would have been no logical reason because Magic, you know, guys before Magic and Larry were pretty good. None of them were bad. I mean, if you look at those, those guys were great. So they couldn't have done it because we didn't even think of that until 1984. It wasn't even in. And second of all, we were just starting to get money. What did I tell you? By 84, the basketball college program, we were killing them. I was starting to get students. You know, we were getting close. We were getting teams in the NCAA tournament. And then a couple of years later, we went with Jimmy. Then we went to Final Four with all four, all four teams in Louisville. You know, Georgetown, Villanova, Memphis, and the... Uh, North St. John's. We had all, so that was 84. So what in your logical mind would have thought would have done something in 79? I think what may have happened, because I, I don't think, I just think, you know, whatever, what may have happened that now that you look in history, that would have been nice, but there wouldn't have been any money to give magic. And also, just so we don't forget anything here, 
1979, neither team or neither author was ready to do it. And there would have been no way that you would have signed with a, a Magic Johnson caliber. Why would you go to Nike? We didn't have anybody. <laughs> we are now dropping, you know, getting ready to drop guys. It was an illogical assumption. Well, I'm glad you... No, I don't want to draw... Let me say this, okay? Also, the biggest fabrication of the mistruths was in that movie. There were more lies in that movie. And I'm not saying Magic's lying. This is not what I'm saying. The thing that Jerry West... and That was a fabrication of the, the writer's imagination that made it more salacious. <laughs> I mean, well, it was. Jerry West wasn't like that. There's five or six other things that I know. I happen to know... The guy that was murdered, you know, they found in the trunk. And, you know, Jerry you know, Buss is like apologizing to the mother. There are so many misrepresentations, but it's it's very good. It's very good television. and It'll sell out again this year. And good for them. Like I said, it's a movie, not a documentary. I, I no, I appreciate you setting the record straight. No, I think it's it's you're the one who could set the record straight. So that's the perfect thing. But um the joy, the movie's great. And I just want to jump, if I have time, I don't know what your time schedule is. I want to well, jump. Okay, if you are, go ahead. I just want to jump to the fact that you leave. I, I don't know if you want to go into 1991 when you were fired by Phil Knight and or resigned or however you want to clarify that in terms of you leaving Nike and going to Adidas. But you're going to Adidas and you're work, and working for Peter Moore and Rob Strasser. And they said, find the next Michael Jordan, which, of course, seems like the most difficult thing in the world to find another Michael Jordan. But I did. I, I know. That seems like the most impossible task, to be honest. So talk about how you found the next Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant. They, I asked Peter. Rob had died now. Rob, he bought it, and he died six months into his presidency, and Peter Moore became president of Adidas. And there was no better trio in that world than Rob, Sonny, and Peter. There's none. I mean, the history will show that eventually. And, um, and, and I said, the only way... I can find this person we're looking for is I got to go to New York. I got to live in New York. I got to be in the middle of basketball. I go to high school games. I go to pro games. I go to college games. And I can also see everybody. Everybody goes through New York. It was New York, New York. I loved it. My wife loved it at the time. So they rented me a very nice place, uh, you know, right, right across the street from one of the you know best you know restaurants in America. I was, they, they treated me good, but I was there. I was there to quietly find the next Michael Jordan. Little did I know it would happen quickly at the ABCD camp. In 1972, my Gapper Dan game, still no McDonald's game I had in Pittsburgh. The MVP, I believe it was 72 or 73, was uh, Joe Bryant, the father of Kobe Bryant. Mm -hmm. In 1973, one of the players was Chubby Cox, the brother of Pam Cox, Joe's wife, Kobe's mother, played in the Deborah Dam. I had touched the birth of Kobe Bryant 25 years before I met Kobe <laughs> Bryant. Joe has a very good career in the NBA. Philadelphia, a bunch of places he bounced around. Then he went to spend the last years in Europe and Italy. I don't hear from Joe Bryant for 25 years, 24 or 5 years. All of a sudden, I'm having the ABC camp, which is the number one you know, summer camp in America for great players. You know, the history shows that also, like the Dapper Dan in the early days. So I get a call from Gary Charles, a dear friend of mine, and Gary uh, tells me he got a call from Joe Bryant, the Joe Bryant. 
I remember the name, obviously, you know, the MVP. He said, Joe has a son. He's just come back Midway. He wants to get his son into ABC camp if he can. I don't know if Kobe can walk, fly, or jump. I have no idea. <laughs> it was Joe Bryant, Pam Bryant's son. I didn't know that at the time either. So remember, this is a camp, but just to clarify our listeners, this is a camp for the best high school basketball players. You get a call from Joe Bryant saying, I want my son to come. And you're like, okay, even though you didn't know about Kobe or anything, nobody knew anything about him, but just as a favor to Joe, I'm gonna your son can play in the camp. And I've had other people like that, and that's been the strength of my life. I, unless something impedes something, all friends win ties in my life. Oh, that's, that's great. That's nice. So that's so Joe there. So Gary brings him over to me. Okay, I say hello to everybody. The, the camp lasts like five days of playing time. We had every NBA guy there now because kids are going out of high school. You know, because Kevin, you know, went out of high school, or uh, Garnett, remember, he didn't get a lot of publicity, but he was really the first guy to do it. I mean, from from that era, okay, and uh, and become great, obviously, Hall of Fame. So now the camp's over, and I watch this kid among 120, 25 other guys over at camp, and we have an all-star game every year at the end of camp. The junior team plays the junior team, and the, and the senior team plays the senior team. And we have a big pull on inside the gym, you know, the most valuable players, you know, we've had it historically to the last camp. So the camp's over and everyone comes back and says goodbye. And then Kobe comes running. I say hello to Pam and things, but he comes over by himself. Swear to God. And he grabs me and he hugs me. Thank you, Mr. Carroll, for inviting me to camp. Um, and I said, you're coming back next year. He's only a junior, a junior, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I said, naturally, he said, he said, but I want to apologize. You hear what I said? Kobe says to me, he's now 16. He's leaving camp. I want to apologize. What do you mean apologize? You made, you know, you made the All-Star team. He says to me, and I never forgot these words, two athletes gave me great speeches during their lifetime. One was Michael Washington. One-minute speeches. And uh, and he said, I'm coming back next year. And I was happy. I thought, <laughs> and he said, uh, I'm going to be the best player in this camp. I never forgot that. He came back. Well, the, the world knows <laughs> That's who he was. I never went to see him play a high school game. I, I was good at that. I never saw LeBron play one. Obviously, I never saw Michael Whalen. I never saw Tracy play one. That was always my modus operandi. If I knew about somebody, I saw LeBron in a pickup game arranged for me in San Francisco going into a senior year, or sophomore year, or sophomore junior year. And that, that's so all these things met Tracy at the camp, just like I met LeBron. Or, uh, Thing. So now all these things happen. I don't go to games. I go to college games. We went to Philadelphia a few teams to see, um, you know, guys that were playing college ball that were really, really good, getting drafted in the first round. And uh, but I, I knew then I come back. Camp was now over. I was, I was, you know, they extended me until the I was going to stay until the holidays, really. And um, so I started making the rounds. I met Joe and Pam probably. Because Gary Charles had told me that Joe would be interested in going uh, pro, so we we met uh, somewhere in New Jersey for lunch, and it'd come over to New York on Sundays, and then drive back, and I drive halfway, and then we went to uh, you know, over to the CF Villanova game or a couple college games, and I'd go to their house, you know, but I never never you know saw Kobe, never saw him play a game, and, and then go ahead, I'm sorry. Then he told me Kobe wanted to go pro, and I called Peter Moore. I said, I found Jordan. <laughs> That's how it was. And Peter said, 
I believe you. Nobody, just so history shows, and you can tell them on your end, Nike didn't even bid on this one, just so you understand that. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Sonny Hill was there. They had a great summer league. They had, he, had, he knew Kobe well. He knew how good Kobe was. They never bid. I gave him a million dollars. We paid Joe $150,000 to help us. Why wouldn't we? We became close. Pam and I found our house for them above the Palisades Drive in Palisades, California, because we had owned a house at the bottom of the hill. We knew him until he left. You know, well, we still know Pam and Joe, obviously. So my point is, that's how it happened. That's why Kobe Bryant only saw him at camp. Only, and I knew this was a kid. And what was the main thing in both of them? Michael Jordan and Kobe. If I go out two minutes, let me tell you Michael Jordan's story. Pammy and I traveled Europe with him in 1992. He put the first shovel in the ground in the Olympic Stadium in Spain. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Golf war. Pam, Howard White, um, who was with us, who always was with Michael, and myself and Michael went to Europe on our own chartered plane. We went to Spain, Germany, and to Paris and making stops for Michael, you know, to Europe, and also play. His, his brother was in the army. We played at an army base for the, all the soldiers in Germany. And what the deal was, we were going to, Michael was going to appear in this game in some army auditorium, you know, whatever it was. And uh, for the soldiers, he was going to play, you know, half for the, the one team and half for the other team, five or ten minutes, and we were going to try and leave early to avoid the crowd. That was the game plan going in. Now, the, obviously, the gym is sold out. All the soldiers, beautiful atmosphere, all the kids, I mean, all the men. This is golf war. This is what we know, ladies and gentlemen. Michael, I go, ready to start the game. And reference words, Michael. I go to Howard. I said, Howard, he said, son, he went to the uh, utrine, uh, in latrine. Well, ladies and gentlemen, some of you young enough, latrine wasn't a pleasant place to go in the 19, you know, <laughs> you know 1990s. And, uh, and Michael was in the bathroom. And, uh, sitting on the bench. I go in and I said, Michael, I said, uh, you know, we got to go. I never, he was sitting on the bench. I was like, like he's riding on a horse, like he had a saddle underneath him and bouncing the ball. And he looks at me, picks up the ball, put it on his right hip. He says, son, I'll be out in a minute. I'll, I'll be ready. Michael Jordan was getting ready to play against the army team. Oh, I didn't, you know, so what happens in this game? In the first half, Michael's winning just a number. He's winning by 20 points, 15 points. What the hell was He was beating Team B. So he changed his T-shirts, and he plays for Team B. He won the game 82-80. Otherwise, <laughs> he beat himself. And he never come out. He played the whole 40 minutes. That was Michael Jordan getting ready to play an exhibition game, sitting in a latrine, mentally getting ready. That is that's, – well, that's, that's MJ. That's tremendous. Yeah. Uh, one last thing about Kobe – you had you were involved in the whole how Kobe ended up with the Lakers because there was a thought that he would go to the New Jersey Nets and I, I think Kobe and the Nets was not that exciting but Kobe as a Laker is a is a legend. Well, Jerry West, Orrin Kellen was a very good law, a lawyer and agent at that time, a friend of mine, um, was you know, close to Jerry and uh, Orrin arranged the workout. He was trying to get arranged with all the NBA teams to work out Kobe because no one had seen Kobe. Okay. Just so we remember that no one had thought he was going to go pro or sign a shoe contract. So now we, because once he did, he wasn't going to college anymore. That's for sure. So now 
Jerry gets a, you know, we get a gym. We go over there and work out. I go with him. Orange with him. Everybody's with him. And he and Jerry arranges the workout. And I don't want to use her name. Pretty damn good players. A couple NBA players. And people will recognize that stuff for another person to tell the story. Kobe kicks everybody's ass. Kicks everybody's ass. Jerry West runs out of the gym. Or run, runs down the floor. He was sitting on the other side. I was sitting on the other side with Orange. says, stop it. I want to stop it. <laughs> I want this kid. Well, that's nice, but the Lakers were good. They weren't going to get an early round draft choice, but we didn't have any offers. Orange Wait, why did any. why did why did he stop it so early? He just he knew that that point he, he saw didn't... enough. He saw enough. <laughs> he knew that this kid was good enough on the fifteen twenty minutes half however long we were out there. Didn't take long. That's what that's what's never given enough credit. There's a ball of stories about it. Jerry just quit it. I learned something about that with LeBron. A lot, you know, twenty years, fifteen years after that. Jerry knew that this kid was that great. What he had to do was get a change with Charlotte, I believe. I think that's who the trade was made Right. For. Yeah, we got the you know, 13th pick. So what we had to do was get to 13. Well, Arnie didn't arrange any more workouts, but Jerry had to make sure we could pass number eight because uh, that was the Nets. And Cal Perry really wanted them. And there was a lot of blind man bluff played there, and John played his lately. He he drafted the kid from Villanova, who was really, really good. Carrie Kittles. Yeah, Carrie was really, really good. So we're now at the draft. All we know is we got to get. So we're on that green room thing, and we're sitting with the Bryant family, and you know, and Carrie, all the, all the, you know, kids, you know, were in that green room thing. And uh, so it comes to number eight, and they say Carrie Kittles, and I jump off the thing, and everybody does. Kobe's sisters are all there. We're all there. I jump up and and I realize, you know, I think uh, I think, you know, Pam, this is, uh, you know, Pam told me, Sonny, he said, Terry killed behind us. So I turned around and I congratulated Terry. I was embarrassing him. I said, Terry, because he knew who I was, congratulating me. You know, I guess he shook me. I don't know idea. He was just happy to be drafted. So this one, but I was happy because we knew nobody would take him between eight and thirteen, and we were going to make the trade with Charlotte. That was the whole thing, and there it was. Vlad A.D. bit for Kobe Bryant, and the rest is history. And Jerry West did it. Jerry <laughs> West did it. Amazing. And we're going to go one more athlete. You're just these stories. This is, I'm like, this is history. I mean, this is like going back into the Revolutionary War and hearing these stories. It's with, with George Washington. Um, you're at Adidas. You've, you, and how do you hear about LeBron and your involvement with LeBron? You were giving, I think the story is you gave St. Vincent, St. Mary's high school team uh, $15,000 for their shoes in, when he was a freshman at uh, St. Vincent, St. Mary's. Well, I, I do have three more minutes I got to get off. So what I'm going to tell you here, LeBron was, I knew LeBron better than I knew any of the kids I ever recruited, including Tracy and all the kids in the future, Brandon Jennings and the rest of them. And it was a two-and-a-half-year recruiting. I knew him when he was a sophomore because his friends, Maverick and those kids, actually brought up uh, a film of me uh, on, a, on a tape like when he was a freshman and they took, at the NCAA Finals. So I knew about LeBron, and I got involved, you know, giving the team all those things. I worked my butt off to get LeBron James. Just to make it real quick, Ira, to say uh, what happened there, and we can finish it some other time, maybe at the end of the season, if you want to do a follow-up on what happened this year or something. But just to tell you, Adidas lied to me. I promised LeBron $100 you know, a billion, $10 million a year. 
and they changed the contract on me, and I quit Adidas right after that. So that that changed history too. All they had to do was I don't know if we'd have got them, but I would probably would still have been Adidas, and there would have been no other things. Maybe I have no idea. And then I went to you know Reebok, and then I went to the, what I was born to do. I think it's fight for the athletes and win the NIL thing, and, and Eddie O'Bannon. But that's what it was. They lied to me. Adidas, Adidas made two big mistakes, didn't they? They didn't sign Jordan, and they passed on LeBron. So they got good. They, they were where they should be. They signed Kiwi or Kiwi or what the hell is it? <laughs> so. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, Sonny, I, we want to get into NIL. I know you have to go. I, that's the one we're probably going to bring you back. And I would love to talk about your work with the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit and how you have changed college basketball, which I think we should do in another segment. But absolutely amazing. This has been, I, I just, as I said, I feel like I'm transported back in time and, and listening to history between your talks about LeBron and Kobe and Jordan and your work with basketball in Pennsylvania. It's been just a pleasure for you to talk with us for this past hour. Well, if you don't, I'm going to come to Florida because I got relatives there and this is the year we're going to travel and we may even meet each other. Ira. And there's a possibility, God willingly. But I'll tell you what, if you don't, and if we don't get together and if we physically can, I'll, I'll beat you up. Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to I'll, be I'll up. Do, I'll, do, I'll do it. I'll do it. My word. I can't do it physically anymore. But I and want to get. We want. I want you to come to Florida. We want you in the studio. We want to talk about this. I want to talk about NIL and I talk about how you've changed the landscape of college basketball and all these players now are earning all these endorsement deals and all the work that you've done. It's been amazing in terms of what you've changed and it's it's just it, it would be great for you and I would love to have your comments about current players today and uh, maybe there's the next Kobe or Michael or LeBron out there somewhere, but well, I, I'd love to have you back. There's going to be, and I want to say hello to my family, okay, the Monikies and Chad and Kimmy and, and the four children, and my one of my best buddies, one of the guys who met me from the beginning, Bobby Hartstein, who now lives down here in Florida, like a million other guys who used to live in New York and Pennsylvania. So I love you. Uh, thank you, Ira. I love you because you got a great basketball mind. You're a wonderful person. And you're from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Michael Isolina is one of my favorite people in the world.